remain standing and turn with me now in your Bibles uh, to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. Uh, we come tonight uh, as we continue our uh, series of sermons and lessons in 1 Timothy, having taken uh, a week off last Sunday. Uh, now to chapter 5, verse 9, uh, reading through verse 16. 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 16. Uh, let us give now our careful attention to the word of the Lord. Uh, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. Besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Shall we pray? Thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Bless now this ministry of the word for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to remind you all tonight, uh, as we begin, of God's special care for the lonely, uh, for the brokenhearted, for the destitute, uh, for the marginalized. Specifically, I want to remind you all of God's special care for widows. God, uh, the Bible says, is a defender of widows. Uh, he is a father to the fatherless. He is a God who is full of compassion, and he wants us to be the same. I truly hope, dear friends, you are aware of the church's widows, that you care for them, that you are conscious of their presence, 
that you are willing to consider taking an active and practical step to minister to them. And further, I want to exhort you as your pastor that you don't dare consider that it is only the job of the pastor or of the pastor and the elders. If that is your thinking, I want in all tenderness and love and gentleness to correct you. We all have a part to play. The next time you greet a widow on Sunday morning and ask her how she is or if she needs anything or how you can pray for her, the next time you visit a widow in her home, remember that you are demonstrating God's care for her. And I remind you that one of the ways you can know how important this is in the sight of God is what we read last time, that Paul says that for a family member to fail to care for a widow amounts to a denial of the Christian faith. Spend some time this week thinking about that and why that is. By way of review, verses 3 through 8, Paul has pointed out that the church should care responsibly for widows in the congregation who are really widows or truly widows. That is to say, widows who trust in God but who are alone and who have no other means of support. If the widow has a family, the responsibility for her care rests upon them, and they should shoulder it so the church can use its resources to help those who have no families. Family members who are able to do this, Paul says, but refuse to do so, deny the faith and bring disrepute upon Christianity. Now notice, now beginning in verse 9, our passage tonight, that Paul gives rather detailed and specific instruction regarding who was to be considered a, quote, real widow for the purpose of the church's support. You'll see, for example, first of all, that she must be at least 60 years old to be taken into the number of the widows or to be put on the list of supported widows. Now, church history tells us that in the early church, a group of older widows were appointed as servants of the church. Now, this was a group of godly widows to whom the church had given an appointed task as servants of the church. They possessed the necessary qualifications for the performance of certain spiritual and charitable functions. They visited the sick. They counseled younger women. They taught children. And they did other charitable works. And they did this by the direction and under the leadership of the deacons. The ancient church fathers spoke about this, as do Matthew Henry, 17th century, John Calvin, a century earlier, 16th century. Here is Matthew Henry, quote, There was in those times an office in the church in which widows were employed. 
and that was to tend to the sick and the aged and to look after them by the direction of the deacons. John Calvin observed that it was not enough that a woman had reached the age of 60 to be taken under the care of the church. He said that even more, they had consecrated themselves to the ministry of the church, something which would have been impossible for them to do if they were still married. But listen to Calvin, quote, they were received on the condition that the church should relieve their poverty and on their part that they should be employed in ministering to the poor as far as the state of their health allowed. There was a mutual obligation between them and the church. Isn't it interesting, by the way, just as an aside, that we saw that in the reading from 1 Kings tonight. Elijah was not there merely to minister to the widow of Zarephath. He asked her for a cup of water. He asked her for bread. She was happy to oblige. She took care of him too. I want you to notice tonight, friends, how much this challenges a number of our prevailing views. The first one is this. If our view is that since women are not ordained to the office of elder and deacon, it therefore follows that they cannot have a meaningful ministry and that there is nothing of importance or significance for them to do in the church. If that is our view, this all shows how untrue that really is. Secondly, perhaps most importantly, this challenges our view that when a person is old and has reached retirement age, they are meant to put on the brakes and to coast in, to live a life of leisure and inactivity until such time as they die. And this view has become so ingrained in us, I think it must be openly challenged in the church. I'm not suggesting that things don't change uh, as you age. There will be certain limitations related to aging, related to health, perhaps to illness. But the Bible tells us that an older widow now may have, in fact, more opportunity, more time, more availability than ever before to be actively and meaningfully involved in the life of the church. She no longer has a husband to care for. She has no children to take care of. She has, as far as she is concerned, unprecedented availability of time and opportunity. And if she is going to receive the financial care and support of the church, there is the expectation of mutuality, that she will faithfully serve the church and assist the leaders in many needed and meaningful ways. My friends, I don't have to tell you this is a breathtaking departure from our presuppositions. We suppose that the pastor and the elders are to take care of that. We suppose that unordained persons cannot minister in such ways. We suppose that as we get older and reach retirement that we have to put our, we've put our time in 
We've done our duty. Now we can sit and watch TV and play golf or whatever it is, but live idly in our so-called golden years. Paul is saying, no, don't waste your golden years. That's not the right way to think about the Christian life. There is time for elderly widows to remain engaged, to remain open, to remain involved, to be fully active in the life and ministry of the church. Isn't that amazing? It is to me. How much things have changed and how much our expectations and presuppositions have changed. Now, previously we have read that there is money unwisely given. If you were here two Sundays ago, you'll remember that, that the church should not be given money to those who are not spiritually alive and active in faith and pursuing God with a whole heart. And here we are given to understand that there is an expectation that those who do receive support are fully engaged in the life and work of the people of God. What it tells me, and what it should be telling you, is that the church is and always ought to be the center of our lives. It tells us that our lives are to be shaped and ordered by the reality of the church and by the needs of the church and by the concerns and problems of the church. If there are young women, they need to be discipled. If there are new Christians, they need to be taught. If there are little children, they need to be instructed. If there are sick people, they need to be visited. If there are lonely people, they need to be ministered to. If there are infirm and disabled and shut-ins, they need to be attended to. And banish the thought that the pastor can and should do it all. I'm not trying to get myself off the hook here. But he should not. And he cannot. And frankly, there are some situations in which a wise, godly woman will do a far better job and her ministry will be far more appropriate than that of the pastor. Well, we've come very far from this, not in an entirely good way. The church has always needed, and the church still needs, this type of ministry. And certainly we could benefit from the service of godly widows who perform these responsibilities. Think for a moment of the ancient city of Ephesus. That's where Timothy was pastoring when Paul writes to him. Or think of Philippi, or Corinth, or Rome, or Jerusalem, any ancient city. Do you think there were widows and sick people and poor and needy among those cities and among those congregations? Of course. And do you think that the pastors and elders were trying to visit them and to minister to them? You bet they were. But I can tell you with all confidence and certainty that this was not all that was going on. 
You don't know any of their names. None of them are famous. But during the week, older women were going to the homes of other women. They were visiting the sick in their homes. They were doing good to the poor. They were instructing children. They were discipling younger women. Why? Because Jesus Christ and his church had become the center of their lives, just as described in the book of Acts in chapter 2. The church was not a priority. It was the priority. It had taken over completely. And what the church was doing, they were doing. Where the church was going, they were going. What the church needed, they were aware of. And in the name of Jesus Christ, they ministered. Now again, 9 and 10. She had to meet a number of qualifications. She was at least 60 years old. We've already said that. She must have been faithful to her husband. Isn't that interesting? She had been the wife of one man. She was a one-man woman. We saw that as a qualification for elder and deacon in chapter 3. A one-woman man. She was known for her piety and her good works. She had raised children. She had practiced hospitality. She ministered to the needs of the saints, here described as washing their feet. She relieved the afflicted. There have always been afflicted in the churches. But she was a sincere, active, faithful, diligent Christian. It tells you something, does it not? That the priorities of the church's ministry of compassion, what they should be, and to whom that ministry of compassion should be directed. At the very least, you would think, it is directed to those who are sincere, faithful, godly, church-attending, active members. Now, verse 11, Timothy should counsel the church, Paul says, not to put younger widows on such a list. So if you're under 60, if you're in your 30s or your 40s or your early to mid-50s, Paul says, now, Timothy, those women are not ready. Don't put them on such a list. And Paul gives two reasons for this. First, it is unwise for a younger widow to pledge not to marry. And apparently such a commitment went with a position. Should they later wish to marry, what is otherwise a very innocent desire would then amount to a rebellion against the yoke of Christ to which they had dedicated themselves. And this, for Paul, was no small matter. Thus, he says, they will have condemnation or bring judgment on themselves, having cast off their first faith. Now, another translation renders that, and it may help you to understand it, that they have broken their first pledge. And so here's how to understand this. 
when a woman of 60 was received onto the list of widows and entered into that mutual relationship of care and ministry that we have been speaking about, she made a pledge to remain unmarried. But Paul is saying a younger widow should not make such a pledge. For in time, when she desires to remarry, she will have gone back on the solemn pledge in which she entered into such an agreement. It's all very remarkable, I think. I can't think of an obvious parallel in our church. But it's very realistic. It's very this-worldly, if you will. And it also speaks, does it not, to the value we ought to place on the commitment that we make and to the vows that we take in the church. This was to Paul, notice, a solemn pledge. It was a very serious agreement. Perhaps a vow was even taken. And such a commitment should not be taken lightly. I lament, beloved, how lightly so many take their membership in the church and how so many take their membership vows taken in the presence of God. We live in a day in which one's word, even vows made in the church, and one's commitment to many mean almost nothing, it seems. But this commitment meant something. And this is why Paul is saying a younger woman should not make it. It's very likely she will not be able to keep it. Now, second, the second reason younger widows should not be taken onto the list, the position would entail a special temptation for younger widows uh, to go about from house to house, to gossip, to be busybodies and saying things which they ought not to say. Again, it is intensely realistic and honest. You understand what he's saying, right? Paul does not want these younger widows to have nothing to do. Nothing to do, that is, except to gossip with other women and to talk about them to others. He doesn't want them to be meddlers and prying persons. That is a definition of a busy body. Someone who sticks his or her nose in other people's business. Paul says this is not at all becoming of a Christian woman. Beloved, there is a sanctified minding your own business. There really is. Uh, there is a sanctified keeping to yourself, keeping your nose out of other people's affairs, and not gossiping and talking about others. There really is. I want to ask you ladies, point blank, do you gossip when you get together? Do you concern yourselves with the affairs of others in a way you ought not. Do you meddle? Do you pry 
Are you a busybody? Leave it alone. When you get together, don't talk about others. Mind your own business. Tend to your own affairs. We know what often goes on, and it's not right. Idleness is not good, Paul is saying. Gossip is not good, you know that. Living as a busybody is not becoming of a Christian. Now, the other reason a younger widow should not be on the list of widows and pledge not to remarry is because she'll have nothing better to do than to gossip, meddle, and pry. Harsh, you say? Realistic, I say. Idleness isn't good. It is the devil's workshop. She must have something better to do. And so in light of this, he says, verse 14, I desire that the younger widows marry. They are free in Christ to remarry in the Lord. That they bear children, that they manage the house, and notice, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. It would seem that Paul has in mind any adversary, any enemy of the cause of Christ. He doesn't want Christ's enemies to be given opportunity to speak about the body of Christ reproachfully. He wants Christian women, but all Christians, to be pure, to live holy lives to refrain from evil and to do good. But look, he says, some have already turned aside after Satan. Verse 15. Paul is not merely speaking hypothetically. He knows of instances where some people Perhaps some younger widows, the ones he has in mind here, have already turned aside to follow Satan. It's tragic. It is disturbing, to say the least. But I find Paul's honesty and realism, as difficult as the topic is, refreshing. I've seen the same thing. Any pastor will have seen the same thing that Paul describes who serves. Paul, the great apostle, saw it in his own ministry. Think about that. One would think that anyone who came to Paul's church and heard him preach and sat under his ministry, could never drift. But Paul saw it, his own ministry, in his own churches, as he pastored. You would be wrong to think that if the pastor were good enough and preached well enough, well, no one would ever fall away. 
Even those in Paul's ministry were tempted by the evil one and turned aside. I've seen it. I could name, I won't, but I could name for you the instances. And I want to tell you something, since we're on the subject. It is very often those who are relatively young. You older saints, praise the Lord, tend to remain faithful unto death. But it's those who are relatively young, it seems, in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Isn't that who Paul is speaking about? Who are tempted by something in their lives. A relationship. But other reasons as well. They get involved in certain sins. They fall into sexual immorality. Or gossip or slander, as he's talking about here or infatuation with worldliness. Maybe they make their own children's desires more important than the church. And it pains me to say it this way. I wish it weren't so. But there can be no doubt that for many of them, they have done exactly what Paul says. They have turned aside after Satan. It's time we quit sugarcoating it. That's what happens in many cases. You know, Paul at one time made me very uncomfortable with his harsh language. Then I became a pastor and I saw how true it is. It's true. There are those in the church who become tempted and who are lured away, and they are lost to the influence of the evil one. We don't see them anymore, and we never will, some of them. They've been given over to immoral living. They know their lifestyle is incompatible with the Christian faith, and so they've been lost to the devil. Well, he repeats in verse 16 a principle that he has uh, expounded already, a maxim he has already introduced. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. You know that principle. He repeats it here uh, once again. My grandparents are uh, no longer living. Heather has one grandparent still alive, uh, Grandma Coldy, great grandma to these three. She is the widow who has been on our mind since last Sunday. Uh, wouldn't you know, Heather received an email just yesterday that Grandma Coldy, 96, is uh, working too quickly through her savings and spending too much money. And we know that because Heather's mom and dad are very diligent in caring for her and communicating with her and knowing how she's doing. 
She has a pension. She has Social Security, of course, but she had a nice savings that if she continues uh, to live, uh, won't be around as long to have as much fun as she's having. So they had some discussions, and they were hard, I suppose, to have. And some decisions had to be made. Um, the grandchildren aren't going to get that Christmas check that we've been getting for so many years. That's Heather and me. The great-grandchildren, kids were getting very nervous there for a moment, will still receive Christmas checks and birthday checks, apparently, but at reduced quantities in keeping with a new commitment that Grandma Colby must make. Well, how do we know this? Because Dave and Joan are actively involved in caring for great-grandma Colby. They helped her move when she had to move, and believe me, that was hard. Uh, they've helped her with her finances. They've stepped in when she has had needs and cared for her when she has fallen uh, or been injured and many other things. Isn't that what this is ultimately all about? And isn't it things like that that Paul says, this is what it looks like? Where is the need? Who is the lonely widow? How is she doing? How can we minister to her and show Christ's compassion? May God have mercy. Let's pray. Help us, O oh Lord, to be a church and to be a people who take these instructions to heart and who joyfully seek to live accordingly, that we might have a church and that we might be a people worthy of the name Christian and that we might give glory and honor to God. Write your truth on our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.